turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, this is a topical series, so I will not be explaining all the details of our passage, but this will be, this will set the stage for a sermon on the Holy Spirit's work in the church. Children, here are your questions for this evening. Do all true believers have the Holy Spirit working in their lives? Two, how will Christians teach each How will Christians treat each other when the Holy Spirit is guiding them? Three, it is up to the church to make sure the gospel of Jesus is preached. But who needs to work opening people's eyes to believe the good news about Jesus? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of God. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is giving the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through this Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who appoints to each one individually as he wills. There ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Lord our God, we do thank you for your word and the instruction that we receive from it. Lord, we know that this isn't simply an instruction manual, but Lord, something that is to touch us deeply because it is your word spoken to us. And so we pray that we would glean the truths that we need to glean from the sermon this evening. We certainly have heard the truth from your holy word. So please send your spirit to help us, we ask. Send your spirit to illuminate illuminate us so we might see more clearly and receive from you that which we need to hear tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so far in our series, we've discovered about the person and work of the Holy Spirit that he was involved in the creation. First of all, that he's the third person of the Holy Trinity. (coughs) Excuse me. that he was involved in creation, moves providence throughout history, and was very much involved in the production of God's word. Also, we studied the fact that Jesus promised his coming, and we saw the fulfillment of that promise as we examined Pentecost. We also discovered that the work of the Holy Spirit is very personal and needs to be. The regenerating or saving work of the Holy Spirit 
needs to take place in order for us to come alive in Christ. And then the sanctifying work of the Spirit as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And then uh, the assurance that we have comes from the ministry of the Spirit. And then very personally, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Last time we looked at the work of the Holy Spirit and the effective preaching, teaching, and witness of the gospel to the world. And tonight I'd like to focus on the work of the Holy Spirit in the corporate body of believers, the church. The church has as its head the Lord Jesus Christ. The church indwelt by the Spirit is the body of Christ with Christ as the head. And all things are to be brought under the one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, three main points about the Spirit and the church. First of all, uh, her very life is dependent upon the work of the Spirit. Two, uh, the worship that we exercise is dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and then the witness of the church is entirely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Now, at the outset, I want to say that we're going to come across, we have already come across, the issue of what are called charismatic gifts, or things having to do with the speaking of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and miracles, and things like that. And and my goal tonight is not to address those things directly, uh, neither address the ceasing of them nor the continuance of them. I just don't think that a sermon allows for something that, that involved. I do want to say that it's my understanding that the extraordinary gifts as were seen in the early church are not prevalent in the church today. For one reason is that I'm not convinced that they were universal in the early church, that that not every church and not every gathering of saints experienced what are called the charismatic gifts. Secondly, that they had a unique place in history to establish the church in the apostolic age, and so many of the aspects of the charismatic gifts are not necessary now in the New Testament church, now that scripture has been completed and now that the church has been established. But again, uh, I know that you would never convince someone who's experienced what they would consider the charismatic gifts that that wasn't real or that it wasn't spiritual. And so I don't, I don't want to belabor that tonight, but I, I do need to point out that I'm not going to be focusing on those things, and you'll see why maybe a little clearer later. What I want to do tonight is encourage us that the living spirit is here with us. That the Holy Spirit is alive and working in the church and working right here at Covenant Church, present among us. So I want us to consider, first of all, how that is evidenced in the church broadly and here in a local church. The importance of seeking the work of the Holy Spirit regularly and continually and that we would rejoice together in the work that the Holy Spirit is doing here. And if there's anything missing, that we would make sure that we're not missing those things. And that we would repent and seek the Spirit's ministry if we're missing anything that we should have as a church. First of all, the church's very existence depends on the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit from the beginning was, was active in calling people out of the world to be a part of God's congregation. That was true in the Old Testament, but that becomes even more intensified in the New Testament era. 
especially the work in the ministry of the church, the, the power of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit is a regular ongoing thing in the ministry of the church. Once the Lord Jesus Christ ascends into heaven, he promises to send his Holy Spirit. He sends his Spirit primarily to the apostles. And he enables them to fulfill their roles in founding Christ's church, empowering the church to build God's kingdom throughout the world. That's where it all began. But it, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit wasn't just for the apostles or for all those present at Pentecost. It was a part of the building of the church through the ages. The Heidelberg, Heidelberg Catechism, when it asks the question, uh, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church, answers this way. I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, preserves for himself by his spirit and word in the unity of true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life, and I believe that I am forever and shall remain a living member of it. By the way, that end there of assurance is also the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But, but it's through the work of the Spirit and the Word that God collects his people to make his church. I'm going to read to you two rather long quotes. And I'm going to do so because I think there are some excellent things out there that we probably wouldn't normally read unless we were doing a sermon on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first one has to do with how the work of the Spirit reflects Christ's promise when he said, the Spirit of truth, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you in all truth. This is a, a man named R.B. Kuyper. He was a professor at Westminster Seminary in a book called The Glorious Body of Christ. He writes, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth. This was addressed to the twelve, not as so many individuals, but as the nucleus of his church. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out not merely on the individual disciples who were present, but definitely on the church of the new dispensation or the New Testament. In consequence, there runs throughout history throughout the history of the church from the beginning to present, and there will continue to run throughout its history from the present to the end of time, a line of truth or orthodoxy. In spite of all the errors that have at times crept into the church, in spite of the frequent prevalence of error, the spirit of truth has never departed from the church, nor will he depart at any time in the future. In other words, the Holy Spirit is at work in the church and keeps the church and preserves the church. Always has, always will. The next quote comes from a book by a man named George Smeaton. He was a Scottish theologian in the 1800s. And he's referring to the fact that by virtue of being Christ's church and under the head of Christ, by definition, the Spirit is in the church. Again, it has to do with the history, the establishment, and the existence of the church. Bear with me, this is the last long quote. With the rise of the Christian church, a new epoch dawned. New transforming influences entered into history. 
they who were called out of the mass of mankind by the sanctification of the Spirit were constituted the church, a society of believers with a common interest in Christ's redemption and a common hope of glory. As a corporate society, they have communion with the Lord Jesus Christ in his saving blessings and with all believers in the living head. The church, animated by his Holy Spirit, came into existence in virtue of the election of the Father, the redemption of the Son, and the regeneration, regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit. How closely the Spirit is connected with that living organism, its functions, office bearers, sacraments, gifts, and ordinances will appear when we call to mind that he creates it by his life-giving agency, sustains and supports it in its functions, infuses life, unction, and ability for the exercise by which the members edify and comfort one another, and without whom it could neither exist nor cohere. By the Holy Spirit, every true member of the church is consciously joined to the head Christ, and the several members are held together by inward rather than outward bonds. In other words, the Holy Spirit unites us, helps us to glorify God, helps us to minister to one another. That's the church, that's the universal or Catholic church, but that's true in a local congregation as well, this unique blend of individuals working together according to scripture. That's what all the churches Paul's writing to have to do is work together in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's true here at Covenant as well. It will be evidenced in community in two specific ways. A healthy sense of community is reliant upon the work of the Holy Spirit and the word. Sinclair Ferguson, a Scottish theologian and preacher, makes the point that, number one, out of, out of all the lists given of the gifts of the Spirit, none of them are complete. But all of them have Scripture as central. Two is that the use of gifts are driven by the motive of love and service for the good of the body. The point he's making is that the charismatic gifts, or the more extraordinary gifts, are certainly there in the time of the early church. But what is in the forefront is the centrality of Scripture. And the Holy Spirit will always illuminate Scripture, pointing us to the Lord Jesus. But the Holy Spirit will also instill in the body of Christ this sense of love and service for one another. And so the centrality of the word, it's what we're all about. If somebody asks what covenant is about, we say that we're about the word. We're, we're not a complicated church. You, you, you see what you get, and you get what you see. We're about explaining and preaching the word of God and applying it to the lives of people. It's a very tragic thing when a church decides that it's going to step off of the centrality and the authority of God's word. It's what you might think of as the tragedy of Ichabod. Ichabod means the spirit has departed. The spirit departs the church when the word of God is ignored. And conversely, if the spirit is lifted from the church, no one's going to appreciate or understand the power of the word of God. 
The second part, that atmosphere and lo of love and, and service to one another, is so significant. And with the absence of that, with the absence of love, all that we're doing would become a cacophony or a horrible sound. You think of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul is rebuking the church right here in Corinth, rebuking the church, saying that they have a lack of love. They have a lack of love. And I think it would be fair to interpret that as they've, they've lost sight of the love of God for them, they've lost sight of the example of love that Christ showed them, but they also are not filled with the Holy Spirit that will burn and instill that love in believers that we need to have. And so he rebukes them, reminds them of what love is, and gives them the list that so often used to remind us just what love is in all of its aspects. It's so tragic when that's missing from a church. I was once asked to speak to, uh, meet with a very small congregation that was falling apart. And the person that came to me said, our church is having trouble. And so I wasn't sure what to expect, but I went and talked to them. And what I observed right away was that there was a real absence of love among this very small group of professing Christians. It was a sad, broken church, and there was no evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. So much to the point where this small group of people so despise themselves that I heard with my own ears one woman saying about another man, I wish he would drop dead and go to hell. The absence of the Holy Spirit will bring the absence of love. And the absence of love will grieve the Holy Spirit. The Spirit brings us to focus on the centrality of the word, to have the atmosphere of love among us, and a sense of unity among the people of God, even though we might be from all different backgrounds, have different convictions, have different preferences, somehow through the ministry of the Spirit, we can work together as one, focusing on the kingdom work we're called to do, focused on the power of the word, focused on love and service to one another. When we are in step with the Holy Spirit, and when we are the Spirit-filled church that we're supposed to be, and when we are the Spirit-filled people that we're supposed to be, God will be glorified. People will be ministered to. We'll have that sense of unity and love for one another, that, that real sensitivity to one another. When those things are absent, that's when the Holy Spirit is grieved. And we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Secondly, and I'll spend less time on the next two points, is the Holy Spirit is at work in her worship. In her worship. Now all three persons of the, the Trinity receive worship. It might sound a little odd to Reformed people, but one of the most Reformed documents you can find is the Westminster Confession of Faith. And so I quote, Religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
and to him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creature. And since the fall, not without a mediator, nor in the, media, nor in the mediation of any other but Christ alone. But did you catch, religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not wrong for us to praise the Holy Spirit and to speak to the Holy Spirit when we pray and when we worship. But what about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in worship? God is everywhere, the Holy Spirit is everywhere, but he meets with us in a very special way when we gather together to worship. And I wasn't exactly sure how to word this. Does he meet with us in a special way, in an intensive way, in an immediate way? All I know is that he meets with us here in worship and helps us to worship. You see, we don't, we don't worship a distant God. We worship a God who is near. We worship the God who is in heaven. We worship the Christ who is in heaven, but who is also everywhere. But we worship a God who is near, and he comes near to us through the Holy Spirit. So the one we worship is not distant, and the way we worship is prescribed by and attended by the Holy Spirit. Think of the parts of worship. Think about how when we gather together to worship, how dependent we are upon the immediate ministry of the Holy Spirit. You've heard it said by me before, you heard it said last week, that, that no preacher should ever sense that his preaching is ever going to be effective unless the Holy Spirit takes the muddled words of a sermon and lays them on the hearts of someone who's ready to hear. We're made ready to hear by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, giving us the ability to receive the word of God. And the preacher needs the help too. So in the, in the preaching of the word, in the sound preaching of the word, and the proper hearing of the word, and the receiving of the word depends upon the Holy Spirit. The other parts of worship. Again, our confession, prayer with thanksgiving. Being one special part of religious worship is by God required of all men. And that it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son by the help of his Spirit. According to his will with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and if vocal, in a known tongue. And so any prayer must be attended by the Holy Spirit. We spent a whole sermon on that, but congregational prayer as well, dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Our singing with grace in our hearts. Are we truly singing with grace in our hearts? That will be the work of the Holy Spirit. The sacraments, particularly the Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ present in the Supper, not physically, not interwoven with the elements, but truly and spiritually through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. One final thing about worship is he is our helper. He is the one who will help us to keep from becoming rote in our worship. 
becoming blasé in our worship, becoming disinterested in our worship. He will help us to practice genuine, heartfelt, undistracted worship. Well then, thirdly, her witness. Her witness. We read here that Paul said, no one can confess that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. Well, certainly people can say Jesus is Lord. Jesus himself says that. Come to me and say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do my will. But to truly confess that Jesus is Lord with all the truth and all the depths that it contains requires the work of the Holy Spirit. And so faithful insight into the truth of Christ, into the the fullest insight into the word of God is dependent upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In, In your outline I say our creeds. Our creeds that capture the essence of biblical truth we would not say are inspired in the same way as Scripture is through the Holy Spirit, but when they capture the essence of the truth, we have to think that the Holy Spirit was at work. When you think about the history of the church and how heresies rose up so early and how troublers in the church rose up so early and how the truth had to be hammered out in history in order to protect the truth of what true Christians believe, you have to think that it was the work of the Holy Spirit. You think about how blinded the church broadly, how corrupted the church broadly, how how during the Middle Ages the church had added so much to the Christian religion that, that the truth of salvation by grace alone through faith was obscured by that predominant institution itself. It was the Holy Spirit who broke through and who opened the eyes of people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Knox and Zwingli and all those reformers. I personally believe that the Reformation was just not a movement in history, but was in fact a Holy Spirit revival. I don't know if anybody's ever called it. I got chills just saying the Reformation was a Holy Spirit revival because eyes were open to the truth. And people were led to Christ. And the work is still being done. Well, for the sake of our church, we need to keep in mind that maintaining our orthodoxy, maintaining the truth that we believe from Scripture, maintaining our orthodoxy is dependent upon the continued illumination of the Holy Spirit. but also maintaining our orthopraxy, our right practice of doing what God's called us to do, of worshiping the way he's called us to worship, of loving one another the way he's called us to love one another, of having a spirit of unity with our eyes and minds on the kingdom. All those things depend on the ongoing sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Well, finally, the whole commission of the church is dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. The church called to bring the good news to the world, preaching the gospel, calling people to repent and believe, 
making disciples, teaching them to obey all the commands, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All that work is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. That is the work of God. That work will continue. That work will not be stopped anywhere in the world where God is moving. The question is, for the local church, the question is for covenant, how much do we want to be a part of that? Our work here is dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. We're a part of a much bigger kingdom work, but here at Covenant, we're in this together. We want to stay that way. And we have to believe if we're people of prayer and we're trusting in the Lord that the Holy Spirit will continue to provide that union and communion that he desires for his church and that God will be glorified and that saints will benefit and that sinners who still need to know Jesus Christ will look at the church and say, they have the truth. That is when the Holy Spirit works. They have the truth. It's evidenced in the way they live. It's evidenced in the way they speak. It's evidenced in the way they worship. It's evidenced in the body of Christ. And so we continue to pray, Holy Spirit, move in our midst. Move in our midst as individuals and as a body. With one head, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord our God, we have so much to learn about you. So much to learn about you, Father, that is beyond our grasp. The depths of your love for sinners like us, that you would send your only Son. So much to learn about you, our Lord Jesus Christ, second person of the Holy Trinity. In humility, as we testified earlier about you, that you came in the flesh and humbled yourself. But exalted now, in the glories of heaven, the right hand of the Father, fully God, fully infinite God, fully man. Oh, Jesus, so much to learn about you. And Holy Spirit, we worship you, we praise you for your mighty work, and we continue to pray that you would work in us and that you would work in this church, doing all that's necessary to make us a bride of Christ, this one body here, a mini bride of Christ, pleasing in your sight, sanctifying us, beautifying us, using us for the glory of our great God and Savior. We submit ourselves to you, and we look forward to what you are doing, what you will do in your church, right here at Covenant as well. We come to you in the name of our King and the head of this body, of the church, of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Closing.